Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Christina Hillsberg. Christina is a former CIA intelligence analyst, writer, and mother of five. After leaving the CIA, Christina worked in information security at Amazon, where she stood up the company's first insider threat program, created a new global framework to analyze cyber risks, and established new processes to utilize intelligence tradecraft to analyze information and security threats. She then transitioned to Amazon's public relations, where she incorporated security awareness techniques into PR guidance for employees to ensure confidentiality of drones and test sites for Amazon Prime Air, the company's drone delivery program. In 2017, she began a new chapter as a writer and stay-at-home mom. Christina, welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Fred. Oh, it's our pleasure. We're excited to chat with you about your new book that's coming out on June the 8th. Thank you. Now, you've had an interesting life. Tell me how you got into the CIA. Well, it's funny you ask that because it was something I never planned on doing. And I talk a little bit about that um, in the book. The book is actually part memoir, part parenting guide. And so the part one of the book actually tells that story of my career at the CIA. And I studied African languages in college and thought I would do something like the Peace Corps, um, something on the continent. And by happenstance, uh, the CIA was coming to my campus and a professor connected me. And I actually tried to dodge the interview, believe it or not, uh, because (laughs) my parents really wanted me to work for the government. My stepdad at the time was as well. And, And so, of course, like any you know, 21 year old, I I didn't want to do (laughs) what they wanted me to do. So I tried to dodge it. And then the recruiter stayed in town an extra day. And um, of course, I thought it was some sort of unimportant government agency, because as you can imagine, when the CIA comes on a campus, they don't necessarily announce their presence. Uh, So I was surprised when I sat down across from him and he told me he was from the CIA and he talked to me about political analysis and how I, I would be able to use my Swahili and Zulu language skills. And I was taken and I thought, you know, this sounds like exactly what I want to do, surprisingly. And um, because I was right out of college, I passed the background clearance with flying colors in a a record four months. (laughs) And apart apart from a very troubling uh, polygraph experience, as I'm I'm sure others have gone through. Um, But yeah, and before I knew it, I was I was in the door. Um, So it actually happened by by chance. And I was one of the you know, sometimes few people that you come through the door and you end up working on different areas. Sometimes you'll meet someone who has expertise in Latin America, yet they're working on Africa. But for me, I was really thankful that it lined up and I was able to really utilize that expertise and those language skills right off the bat as a political analyst on Africa. That's an amazing story. I, quite frankly, in all the years I was in the government, uh, 
I never knew anybody that had Swahili and Zulu language skills. Why? What was your interest in that? You know, it developed when I was in high school and did a, did a project on Somalia at the time. I developed an interest. And then as I went to college, I just really fell in love with language. I, I studied linguistics and um, I thought, you know, Swahili is the most lar largely spoken African language, Bantu language. And I thought, well, that's going to give me the most opportunities on the continent. And um, you're right that it is very uncommon in the intelligence community. And what was great about that is that it opened up um, several doors for me uh, in that, you know, when presidents traveled to the continent, there were very few linguists that had those capabilities. And so it opened up opportunities for me to do um, very interesting TDYs. I'm sure. Now, tell us about License to Parent. Yeah. So like I mentioned, License to Parent is part memoir and part parenting guide. Tells the story of my career at the CIA, how I met my husband there, who is also a former CIA. He was an operations officer and my journey into parenthood. So instead of becoming the helicopter parent that I had always envisioned for myself, I actually use my CIA experience to parent with a lot more autonomy than I had ever expected. And so by using these CIA techniques and applying them to parenting in a simple and straightforward way, it's actually made all the difference for our family. And my husband and I share these stories um, through anecdotes and practical takeaways throughout the book so that other parents can also raise well-rounded, security-conscious kids. Uh, that was our focus, is to give parents the tools to raise their kids in this way and have more confidence. And um, We're seeing an epidemic of helicopter parenting, and that's resulted in anxious parents and anxious kids. And so what I've found is when I'm using these CIA techniques, you know, these are two worlds that I once thought were very different. When I looked at my CIA experience, I looked at that as like one part of my life. And then over here is my parenting life that happened, you know, after my time at the agency. But actually, um, I found a way together with my husband to overlap those, right? And that has eased any anxiety that I've had because I've applied those principles and it's equipping our kids you know, to, to deal with anything life throws at them. Because if you think about it, CIA officers are trained to deal with just about anything. And oftentimes, and we discuss this throughout the book, you know, we were trained for worst case scenario. You know, we were put through the ringer in training, knowing that hopefully anything you experience in real life is not going to be that difficult, but you're prepared for it. And so the idea is that when we prepare our kids and give them opportunities for autonomy, they're able to do much more than we ever thought they could, right? We, we don't give them credit for how much they're actually capable of doing. Then we also become more comfortable with this, the amount of freedom that we're giving them. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I know just growing up uh, in the 60s and the 70s, uh, Christina, it seemed like, uh, you know, you rode away on your bicycle in the morning on a Saturday and you knew what time to get home. And Exactly. You had no cell phone and nobody was message texting anybody. Of course, that technology didn't exist at the time. And do you think that technology has contributed to some of the uh, helicopter parent parenting tactics? Well, you know, it's funny you ask that because I do talk a, a little bit in the book about how technology can be so great in terms of, you know, the convenience that it gives us and just all these connections and things that we didn't have before, Right. But the downside is that sometimes it plays on parents' worst fears. So, for example, you know, after my son was born, 
I, I had always been a worrier, but after he was born, I experienced postpartum anxiety. And so that was worrying in a very different, um, at a very different level. And I was using, you know, a little tool to put on his foot to make sure I was checking his oxygen levels and his heart rate all during the night, you know, and uh, babies don't sleep well, you know, if well, if you're lucky, they do. But, you know, so the very few times that he was actually asleep, I was awake checking this technology, checking his breathing, checking this, you know, and I even put a GPS tracker under his clothes at one point, you know, after my daughter was born, because I was so terrified that I would be busy with the baby at the park and someone would take him, right? So there's this downside to technology in that it gives us these great abilities, but it also sometimes plays on that anxiety. And so I talk about in the book, you know, if you want to use those things, that's great and that's okay, but use it in moderation and set limits for yourself. You know, if you want to use the the sock and monitor everything, if that gives you peace of mind, that's great, but try not to become obsessive about it. You know, ch- set the alerts, you know, tell yourself when you'll check it and then let yourself sleep. My goodness, you know, otherwise you don't know when you're going to get it. So I do think there's a downside, but I remember those days in my childhood as well. I mean, you you go off on your bike and it's like come home when the streetlights are on or or not, you know, we'd be out playing flashlight tag and and you just you don't hear about that as much anymore. And I, I do think technology plays a role. I read a fascinating uh, interview that you had done. It might have been in the British media where um, your kids, you drop them in the downtown Seattle with just a map and without their cell phones. And uh, I don't know, did you give them a compass? Um, yeah, I think they had one. I'm trying to remember. They had, and you know what's so funny? The map was actually, it wasn't even a paper map. It was this like really old um, cloth map that my husband just thought was like so cool. And I, I remember thinking like, how accurate is this map? Um, but he's like, this is so great. It just folds up and it's like a little t-shirt and they can put it in their pocket. And I was thinking, okay, <laughs> uh, but they did great. And and yeah, that's something that I wouldn't have dreamed of doing with kids. You know, when you you pop in with like as a stepmom, you know, when the kids are older, it's like some of these things that Ryan, my husband was doing, it was kind of like, whoa. But when you look at them as incremental steps, which I hope that the reader can do with me throughout the book, they kind of see, you know, my journey as to meeting them and observing some of these techniques. And then as I slowly get on board, um, but when you look at them as building blocks, all of a sudden, it doesn't seem so crazy to drop your kids off in a major city with a map and say, good luck, you know, because they build on all these skills build on each other. But also, you know, one of the skills that we emphasize, we have a chapter on being prepared for emergency scenarios. And one of the things we talk about is getting back to basics. And, you know, you'd be surprised about how many kids don't even know how to read a map these days. And that goes back to technology. I mean, we're relying on GPS capabilities. We're relying on our cell phones. And so we talk to our kids a lot about, you know, know how to improvise. Think on your feet. What happens when your cell phone doesn't work? What happens when, you know, the GPS doesn't tell you the turn in time? There's this this funny episode of The Office where Steve Carell's character is following the GPS and you know, and and Dwight's yelling at him, you know, don't go that way. And and he ends up just blindly driving into the lake. You know, he's listening to the GPS, right? And that's a very extreme example. And it's very humorous. But the thing is, it's that happens so often. It's like what we turn our brains off because we're just listening like, well, I think it's that way. But the GPS is saying this way. So I'll go, you know, so it's about training our kids to to going back to those basic skills, knowing how to read a map and just kind of gaining that sense of direction. I mean, to the point that you know, I use landmarks and I talk to my 
you know, four-year-old and, and now three-year-old. She just turned three last week. Um, <laughs> I talk to them as I'm driving them everywhere. Oh, look, over here is that. You know, on the left, you're going to see the cows up here. You know, and they actually start to absorb. And then and now I have a four-year-old who's saying, why are you going this way, mommy? You know, that road is a lot faster. And it's like, okay, what have I done? <laughs> We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Antec's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Antec Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. When you start looking at some of the preparation, what would that be? Can you share with us some examples of that? I'm sure there, there are many in, in your book, Licensed to Parent, but what would be some, some tips or takeaways that you would like to share with our audience? Sure. You know, in the, in the Be Prepared chapter, we talk a lot about instilling this idea of adventure in our kids. And I think one of my main critiques of the way Ryan was parenting when I first met him was that I was worried that these topics were too serious for kids, right? And what I realized and what I observed him do, and and now I do it with him, with our littles, we call them the bigs and the littles, is that he instills adventure and he makes it fun, okay? So one of the ways that looks like when we're looking at preparing for emergency scenarios is that when our kids turn about three years old, we sit them down and they make what we call an adventure bag. And now Ari's looks very much like a little Indiana Jones satchel. And we sit down with them and we make them a part of this process to make their own survival kit. And we call it an adventure bag. And we sit down with them and, you know, take out each item one by one and just ooh and ah over all of them. And then they feel like they're a part of this adventure bag, you know, and we encourage them to carry it when we go on hikes. And we introduce that idea early on. And then, of course, that bag evolves into something more sophisticated the older they get. You know, once they're driving, their car is equipped one with one. And, you know, we also have them in our home ready to go called go bags. And this is a play on um, what the CIA does when you arrive at a station. You have an emergency backpack and, you know, supplies, a go bag ready, ready for you. So that's one of the ways and that's an easy way that parents can start even with toddlers. You know, you can put a little compass in there for them, a little headlamp. We always include a glow stick and band-aids and and it becomes really fun to ha- see them carrying that on a hike and then seeing them take on some of that responsibility. You know, every time someone gets a scrape or a scratch, you know, my son Ari, who's four, will say, I'll get my adventure bag. You know, I'll, I'll get your band-aid. I'll do it. You know, it's fun to see them taking on those skills. And it's like you get that buy-in at a young age and then it evolves and becomes more mature along with them along the way. Right. So that's one way, um, one tangible way. And then also, you know, I was talking about getting back to to basics. And, you know, one of the stories that I tell in the book is, you know, from John Huth. He's the author of The Lost Art of Finding Our Way. And he talks about an experience. He's a Harvard physics professor. And he talks about an experience he had kayaking on the Nantucket Sound. You know, he was out and the fog rolled in 
And thankfully, because he paid attention to, you know, things like the wind and the water and, the, you know, different directions on his way out, despite the fog rolling in, he was able to make it back to shore. You know, he learned, later learned that there were two other kayakers who weren't so lucky that day. And so this is like, a, this is about getting back to basics in terms of, you know, getting back to that whole follow a map, you know, not rely on GPS, but teaching our kids those basic skills, where the sun rises and sets, you know, things about the stars, things about the wind, you know, teaching them to observe those skills. We also talk about um, designating a family meeting spot. You know, if there's a natural disaster, um, maybe your first family meeting spot is your home. Well, you know, what if there's a mudslide or an earthquake or a tornado, you know, depending on obviously what region you live in, you know, what's your number two meeting spot if everyone in your family can't make it to your home? Does everyone know where they should go that you'll all be in, in the event that, you know, it called for that? Uh, we also talk about getaway vehicles in in the book. And, and I talk about a scene, um, you probably remember the old movie, um, Deep Impact, you know, yes. and it's in just about every, you know, apocalyptic natural disaster film. You know, there's always some sort of traffic jam and people can't get around it. And then you see, you know, the 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 actor, the the character with, the, you know, the motorcycle zooming through and going around traffic. And and we talk about that in the book. And, and that's something that we do in our family is we we do keep motorcycles and scooters for that purpose. But I recognize that some parents aren't comfortable with motorcycles and I, I'm, I'm still on that process of, of getting, and I'm surprised at how much more comfortable I am with the idea, but it doesn't have to be a motorcycle. It can be a bicycle. It can be a scooter. Um, there are a lot of other options, but it's this idea of thinking through, um, what would you do if the roads aren't passable? You know, thinking through those, um, possibilities. And that's a lot of, you know, the theme throughout the book is that, you know, being prepared for things and visualizing and, and playing out what you would do in scenarios. And that will help you if and when you find yourself in one of these. No doubt, Christina. We know uh, we're, we're here in the great state of Texas, and we suffered the, the horrific snowstorm, which uh, knocked down the power for several days. And, and then you look across the country with wildfires and just flooding and so forth. And I've, I've always been amazed at the lack of preparation on the part of a lot of folks. So your book really is, is talking about recentering and almost getting back to uh, the basics with building resiliency and, and building the uh, self-sufficiency and, and the, the very good practice of knowing how to think through potential problems as they present them to you. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned a lot of natural disasters, but even with, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, I think if anything, it's shown people that, you know, prepping and having uh, some food storage, whether it's a modest amount or, or whatever works for your family is no longer for you know, the weird doomsday preppers, you know, it's this idea that if you were, if you had food storage and you were like this crazy person that thought the end of the world was coming and it's like, well, no, we've now all seen it that, you know, the unlikely can become the very likely very quickly. And all of a sudden there are lines for toilet paper and there are the, you know, and what I want and what I talk about in the book is that I want people to play through these things and be prepared so that when something like that happens, you can be sitting at home, turning on the news and saying, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm not out there. You know, we have everything we need for the next, you know, however many weeks or months, you know, and, and at the same time, I am saying, you know, I, I, do not hoard, right? There's a difference between being prepared 
um, for what your family needs. And also, you know, we don't want people hoarding things, you know, like we saw last year with the the PPE for medical uh, professionals that needed it. You know, we're not suggesting that people run out and, and grab everything, but, you know, a modest approach and thinking through what you and your family would need. Christina, for those that will listen to this podcast, what is the one takeaway that you would like them to remember after they read your book? Sure. I think, you know, really the main takeaway is that licensed to parent uses real techniques that the CIA uses and that we've adapted in straightforward and simple ways. You know, these are real skills that anyone can use. They're not flashy gimmicks or Hollywoodized version of James Bond films. Um, you know, these are skills to give your kids the ability to successfully navigate through life. And it can also help you parent from a place of strength instead of fear. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? Sure. You know, we've talked a lot about kind of the more physical skills that I've included in the book, but I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention that a lot of the book also discusses those softer skills like communication, persuasion, technology. You know, we're so used to seeing James Bond and seeing these, you know, flashy versions of espionage that we expect kind of the danger stories, the emergency prep. We, we expect that, right? And that, of course, is there. Uh, but we also talk in the book about one of the one of a spy's most prized possessions is the ability to write well. You know, I think people are surprised to know that, you know, there is a lot of writing involved, even in clandestine operations. You know, you come back, you're writing up the surveillance detection route that you took. You're writing up your meeting. You know, of course, if you're an analyst, you live and breathe writing. And so we actually devote a whole chapter to this in the book. And and I walk people through the style of writing that analysts do. And, you know, because I really do think that that style of writing is applicable to anyone, you know, kids and even adults, and it's transferable. And if kids have an ability to write well, it's going to serve them throughout their lives and help them be successful. And so that's one of those skills. And I think another one of these skills that is woven throughout the book that I think is so important is our chapter called You, Me, Same, Same. And that is how the CIA builds connections with people through common interests. And so that's this is this idea, this concept of being well-rounded that we talk about in almost every chapter. And that's really what all these skills are getting at. Uh, is this because when you're well-rounded, you have more topics that you can pull from to connect with people in a genuine way. And so, you know, that's how say, how operations officers are successful. You know, if they're well-rounded and they have a lot of interest, they don't have to make up some sort of interest to try to make a fake friendship. The best operations officers are the ones who are truly well-rounded and can find a genuine common interest to make a connection and form that bond of loyalty and trust with someone. And so we talk a lot about those communication skills in the book because we want our kids to be well-rounded. We want to expose them to a lot of topics so that they can build, you know, connections with others as well. And we want them to have those communication skills just as much as we want them to spot and avoid danger because it's really about the whole the whole picture of making sure that they're well-rounded security conscious kids. Well, thank you, Christina Hillsberg, for being on the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Uh, Licensed to Parent is scheduled to be published June 8th. Thanks so much for having me, Fred. I appreciate it.
This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.